uh, like during the breeding season, which is right now, is usually when I'll make my longer stands of 20 minutes, sometimes even 25 minutes. Another thing that plays as a factor is how how the ground lays, you know, your actual terrain. Uh, if you're hunting uh, hilly country, uh, which I know some, you can have a little bit of that out there in Missouri. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got, I'm kind of in like knobby type country. We got hills and hollers and stuff like that, big woodlots. Um, a lot of times those big, those train features can block a lot of sound. Uh, so you might be able to get into another set of coyotes that didn't hear you, uh, just go, like you said, moving a quarter of a mile. Uh, sometimes you have to move a couple miles before you're getting into a different set of coyotes. Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early dawn. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm Threadbow Mike Crace. Wayne Locke joins me in the studio. And howdy, Wayne. How you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I was able to get to work. And <laughs> How long did you have to let your uh, truck warm up before you get the uh, ice off It was for it. a little while. It yeah. was for a little while because it was completely iced over when I got up at... Uh, well, I got out to the truck at about 4 o'clock this morning, mm-hmm. and we're recording this earlier in the week, and I mean, it was covered nice. I thought, oh, great, the roads are going to be the same way. But they weren't too bad. Well, see, now you lucked out. I, I actually had trouble getting into my truck. Mm. Uh, so I actually, I went out this morning to uh, move my truck, couldn't get into the doors. I was like, well, the sun... Or I shouldn't say sun. The light is coming out, so I'm going to give it an extra hour. And went out there and was able to kind of wiggle it open. But yep. uh, yeah, that that frozen freezing I rain is crazy. I saw a lot of road crews out there. Uh, the uh, electric company that out on the road today. Oh yeah, yeah. The MoDOT guys, the, yep. the R dot guys, Marcus all, all doing a great job getting uh, getting the roads as good as they could. And uh, of course, by the time this airs on the weekend, we're going to have another blast move through, and then bitterly cold weather this weekend. And that's part of what we want to talk about today, uh, because uh, not only do your domesticated animals uh, need your help in this bitterly cold weather, wild animals could use it too. Yeah, we can't forget about the the deer, the turkey, the the rabbits, you name it, they're all going to be, uh, like you had said uh, off the air here, if the ground is frozen, the food is frozen, so we need to help them out as much as we can. So, But, yep. uh, you know, with the domestic animals, you know, hey, make sure they got water they can access. Get out there a few times a day and add some fresh water. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't do, don't give them hot water. I mean, that's a, a big myth. People say, oh, it's cold out. I got to give them warm water. But no. Redbone, explain why that's a problem. Uh, yeah, that is a problem. You know, doctors have done a study, and people might not have heard when we talked about this before. And, and it goes in the summertime, you shouldn't give your animals ice cold water. And in the wintertime, you shouldn't give them hot water. Uh, and, and the reason being is because they're not like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, the, in the heat of the summer, when a dog drinks ice cold water, their body says, oh, it's cold. And it starts producing heat in the body of the animal. Okay. And that... It, They'll just get hotter drinking ice cold water. You should just give them room temperature, tepid water, if you will. And the same goes, I think, in the wintertime. If you give them hot water, and then their body's going to go, oh, it's hot. I better cool the body down. And the dog will begin to pant, perspire. That's what they do when they're panting. And then they're going to be in danger of getting even colder. So by giving them hot water, you actually are making the dog colder. And by giving them cold water in the summer, you're actually making them hotter should always be just water right out of the tap, just tepid room temperature water. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we had talked about that last year mm-hmm. uh, during the summertime about the heat and that. And 
that's just a big myth. You know, I, I it's hot out. My dog's panting. I, I better give some ice cold water. I've even seen people freeze their water bowls yeah. and then put them out in the morning for the dog to have. And that's like the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And or feed them ice cubes. Right. I mean, my dad used to do that. He had a dog that loved to eat ice cubes. We'd be sitting outside drinking cold sodas. And he'd reach in there and get an ice cube and throw it over to the dog and. I'm thinking, oh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess maybe, you know, one here or there. You yeah, know, maybe a, tree, a little bit. You know, maybe just something bit. the dog to chew on. But, yeah, if you're if you're doing it to fill their bowl and then adding a half a bag of ice, no, <laughs> yeah. that's a problem. Uh, no, that's, <laughs> that is not good. And, Wayne, there are all kinds of uh, supplemental things you can put out this time of the year for the deer and the turkeys. All kinds of deer supplements and, and wild game supplements you can get at your you know, your local stores, and they all carry that kind of stuff. Mineral blocks is a good thing to put out this time of the year for the, the deer, whether it be the deer mineral or just your regular old salt blocks for the for the horses and the cattle or, or mineral blocks for them. The deer will munch on those, too, and it'll help get them through these uh, bitterly cold days. Right. It's funny, actually, you mentioned that. I just was at MFA yesterday and uh, bought a bag of the uh, crushed uh, trophy rock off of Marie there and mm-hmm. uh, put it out yesterday along with a third bag of uh, sweet feed. And uh, the couple spots that I have set up for my uh, mineral sites and that. And, uh, you know, it's very important. You know, a lot of people think antler growth, antler growth, antler growth. But there's so much more to these minerals than just antler growth, especially like you got springtime coming up. If you get them deer coming up to these sites now and knowing where those sites are at. I mean, mine have been established now for two years, so they're pretty well set. But mm-hmm. it's going to help the uh, does out with milk production, with fawn growth and that. So, you know. Folks, get it, get out there and get those mineral sites going all year round. Yeah, and the protein to, to help keep them warm. Right. You know, that protein creates heat uh, when they're digesting and, and when their body uses it. So yeah, it, it, it's important. And then for the domestic animals, you know, make sure they got a place to get in out of the wind. And uh, I'm not one of those people who says, oh, it's getting really cold. The dogs need to go in the house. I'd, if your dog stays outside all the time, it'll be fine as long as it can get out of that wind. Right. Uh, you know, put them a little. I keep a place in my barn where I've got some old hay. Just keep it piled up there and have the dog and the cat both. They, they dig themselves a little place to get in there out of the wind, and they're just fine. Yeah, I actually met a farmer not too long ago, this fall actually, and uh, he said that what he does for his outside dogs that sleep in the barn, he actually digs a hole and puts their the horse manure in the bottom of it and then covers it up with hay because the horse manure will produce heat really? over the wintertime. Well, and, I, and I thought about it for a second. I was like, you know what? That's just like a compost pile is kind of what sure. he's doing. He's building a, an in-ground compost pile to produce natural heat for his dogs. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I'm not going to go around picking up horse manure. No, no, me neither. She's doing just fine just <laughs> without it. <laughs> yeah, we got uh, heat lamps in our dog uh, dog pens, uh, dog houses and that for the the. Smaller dogs, and then our, yeah. of course, our great Pyrenees. Uh, you know, he's so fluffy in that he's yeah, fine. He, we just got He's fine. He goes in that little dog house. He's good. You know, you talk about horse uh, horse manure or cow manure. One time, <clears throat> I found out that that a truck, a pickup truck load of cow or horse manure is worth about a hundred bucks. And I told Miss Nina, my wife, I said, you know what? We got two horses out there in the field. There's horse manure all over. I said, why don't you, and she's always wanting to walk for exercise. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll get out in the field and drive the truck, and you can just walk around the field and pick up these uh, piles of manure and throw them in the back of the truck. Not only will you get your exercise, when you get the back end full, we'll get $100. <laughs> 
she did not go for it. I wonder why. <laughs> I don't think my wife would go for that either. I told her I'd get her some gloves. <laughs> Drive it down to the local farmer's market and sell yeah, it. See, losing money right there. Just because she didn't. Anyway, uh, yeah, she was not too high on that. So, Wayne, we, uh, we're getting close to the end of this segment of the uh, show. What do you have as far as a guest for us today? Oh, we got John Collins uh, from Tooth and Claw TV is going to be joining us. Uh, he is a uh, infamous uh, coyote hunter. Oh. And uh, out of central Kentucky there. So uh, John is well known in the sport. If you're a coyote hunter, you know this name. And uh, he's going to talk to us about uh, some calling techniques, the difference between hunting cats and dogs. Um, we're going to talk ammunition, rifles. He's uh, got his favorites, and he, he'll he tell us why. Uh, he's all in love with two particular rifles as opposed you know calibers as opposed to anything else and it's pretty interesting to hear why but he's also he has his own tv that he does and uh, he's a self-filmer most of his stuff is self-filmed so we're gonna talk about the challenges of that too all right very good so that's coming up in just a few minutes folks you're listening to american roots outdoors with alex rutledge and his friends we'll be back in a minute hey this is eddie salter and you listen to american roots and outdoors with alex rutledge and friends Wishing on some love I've been on a big board For a while like a load him in the back of my truck Redbone, what would you say if I could tell you That you could kill a buck on a certain day? I would say you're crazy There's no way to predict how the bucks are going to move Well, you're wrong There's a new camera out called Wise Eye Technologies These guys can predict the actual deer movement Exact time that a deer is going to come through Really, Wise Eye Technology. This camera has five megapixel pictures, has a GPS system built inside, and it's an experience using this camera. It collects data and tells you the movement, wind direction, everything. On a camera. On a camera. WiseEyeTechnologies.com. And how do I find out more information about these guys? You go to WiseEyeSmartCam.com. I'm using them. You should too. Make your hunt easier. Use Wise Eye. Eagle Seed presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm the Red Bull Mike Grace. Uh, Wayne Locke is here in the studio. We've got a special guest online. Wayne, who you got here? We we have uh, special as an understatement when it comes to uh, legends of the uh, coyote hunting world. Uh, we're, we got John Collins here, and he's uh, the founder of Tooth and Claw TV. And uh, John, welcome aboard. Uh, thanks for having me. I don't know about that uh, legend comment, but I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> well, I tell you, I put a post out to about 15 different people. Uh, you know, who do you recommend that is a infamous uh, coyote killer and can uh, share a lot of information with our listeners and that, and your name come up more than 50% of the time, so I would say you're pretty well known. Well, yeah, awesome. That's great to hear. Now you can start charging for those autographs now. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> All right, so John, where where are you based out of? I'm uh, based right out of Central Kentucky. I've actually uh, born and raised in Kentucky. I've lived. I've actually lived my entire life in the same county in Central Kentucky. Just a uh, just good old uh, Kentucky country boy. Well, it must be a good spot if you're staying there your entire life. So you must have everything you need there. I've got plenty. I've got plenty. That's for sure. Well, and Kentucky has become one of the go-to destinations for all types of hunting now. So I, I imagine you're probably being central Kentucky. You can get to anywhere pretty quick, and uh, 
have such a uh, uh, an abundance of wildlife for you to hunt. I mean, you're going from uh, you know trophy whitetail to uh, phenomenal turkey hunting, and of course, you know predator hunting is just off the charts there in Kentucky. And you got the elk. Yeah, and the elk, right? That's, that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, Kentucky for the last several years, going on ten years now, has been in the top. You know, right there in the top five. A lot of times, number one, number two in Boone and Crockett entries for whitetail deer every year. And just like you said, the uh, the turkey population is very steady, which of course Missouri, you know, y'all always been well known for uh, for your for your turkey hunting. But Kentucky is is right there. Got you know same hard goblin, uh, eastern longbeards, and then what a lot of people don't know, we've actually Kentucky actually has the largest elk herd east of the Rocky Mountains, and uh, you know big bulls. I'm talking about big bulls every year coming out of the state, and it's one of the most coveted coveted elk tags in the country. So yeah, it's uh, Kentucky is is right up there in some of the top states to to go hunting. And of course, like you just said, we've got plenty of coyotes. If you're a predator hunter, lots of coyotes to hunt, and pretty good, pretty healthy bobcat population as well. You know, uh, uh, Wayne Alex likes to go to Kentucky and elk hunt. He's been on a couple of different occasions. Yeah, well, the the uh, elk. You know, you were talking about the elk and the the size of the herd and that. What I've noticed over the last few years, it seems like the elk are getting bigger and bigger, and I, I can foresee in the near future here that a new record is going to come out of Kentucky. I say it's pretty, I mean, I think that's safe to say, uh, you know, it seems like they're either breaking the, the news, you know, the state record every year or coming right close to it. Uh, the thing is, you know, compared to all your western states, we have milder, milder winters. Mm-hmm. We've got actually more feed for the elk, and it's better quality. Uh, feed for the elk and we don't have the predators like they do back out west you know we don't have to take uh, you know we've got coyotes but coyotes uh, not going to take down a, a full-grown elk now they'll wreak havoc on the uh on the elk calves but as far as like we don't have mountain lions here we don't have the wolves that they have to contend with so we're just a lot better off right here in kentucky than they might be up in the mountains some of these other states so they've got they've got all the chances in the world uh to grow in the trophy trophy bulls right and, and less you got uh, less stress too on them like you said with the weather and that they're not having to go mm-hmm. and uh, hybrid you know uh hike up the mountain uh, during the uh, summertime and then come back down during the uh, winter time and it's just a lot less on them as far as stress is concerned so it's going to help them out overall health wise uh to produce those larger antlers and that but uh, hey enough exactly. about the elk let's let's talk why we're really here today and that is coyotes and cats i want to mention cats too because uh like you said kentucky's got a large cat population um and you you can't leave cats out because they can do some damage too yes sir but where where in um kentucky now do you find that you have your favorite spots to go is it local right there on your own farm or are you traveling all yeah, over I mean, the state I'm, or i'm kind of a kind of a homebody i actually but i actually travel all across the country i mean i hunt several different states i hunt you know even up in the northeast pennsylvania and ohio and back down through kentucky through tennessee i hunt out uh midwest uh i've hunted western missouri i've hunted kansas do a lot of Wyoming hunting, even up in the northwest, up in Oregon, back down in the southwest in New Mexico. But uh, I always look forward to coming back home to Kentucky, and that's actually where I do uh, most of my, you know, probably 80% of the hunting that I do is right here in Kentucky and actually right here in my home county. Um, now, you know, I was raised up in a beef cattle operation, uh, raised up, you know, on a farm, and that's kind of how I got into coyote hunting was, uh, you know, kind of taking care of the livestock, so to speak, uh, 
once I got up to hunting age and really get out there and, and, and hit it on my own, you know, dad was always kind of like, you know, won't you chase some of these coyotes? And so, <laughs> of course, do that right here at home, right here on our farm. My dad actually leases a lot of ground and has cattle on, always hitting all those spots. And, of course, it's pretty easy to get coyote hunting permission. So I'm branching out to all the local farmers, all the neighboring farmers and stuff. We've got plenty of ground right here in my county to hunt. So, um, and got pretty good population of coyotes. So we're knocking several of them down just right here in my home county. So it sounds like, uh, you know, hunting several states and, and what you're describing there in your home county, how many, maybe on the average or a ballpark figure, how many coyotes are you going to see bite the dust in the course of a year? You know, I'm not really good at keeping track. You know, I actually uh, lose track pretty quick. Um, I know we're usually putting out around anywhere from 50 to 60 coyote stands a year when we're producing our videos. I think this in 2020 we put out 56, 56 coyote bobcat stands, and a lot of those are doubles and triples. Hmm. So we're usually killing anywhere from 60 to a little bit over, you know, you know, over 100, 105 coyotes a year, something like that. Wow. And that's all on film too, and that's the amazing part is that's that's on film. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, most of them, yeah, most of them's on. We you know we do kill a few off off film, but we're putting like I said, we put out in 2020. I think we put out 26 predator stands, and like I said, every every single stand at least have one coyote biting the dust on it. And a lot of times there's doubles, you know, a lot of doubles, and a year get the occasional tripler quad as well. Right, and handicap it even more if I if I'm wrong, correct me. But you uh, you you're strictly pretty much a daytime coyote hunter. You don't do the uh, nighttime hunting, do you? Yeah, pretty much, pretty close to 100 percent daytime. You know, when the sun goes down, I get pretty sleepy. You know, I got uh, got a pretty wife. I like to stick around her when the sun goes down. That kind of stuff. So I ain't, ain't no sense to me go run around in the in pitch black dark. I kill them during the day, right? Uh, sounds like that's exactly right. All right, we need to go to a break, and uh, folks, we'll continue more American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge talking coyote hunt in just a minute. Hi. Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. This is Wayne Luck. i got Mike Crace in the studio with me. Alex is uh, out on... Uh, uh, well, what's the word I can use here? Assignment. Assignment. We'll go with assignment. Out in Colorado, and he has no cell service in that out there, and it must be nice to be able to be in the mountains right now. It's pretty out there. But uh, we have on the phone cold. with us. It is Well, pretty we're going to compete with that this weekend. We're yeah, going to have we single digits. But uh, we got John Collins on the uh, phone with us uh, from Tooth and Claw TV. And uh, you know, we were talking about some filming and that in the last episode or the last segment there. So well, let's touch base on that. You know, Tooth and Claw TV, how did that come about? Well, I've worked in the outdoor industry for about eight years, I guess now. And you know, when I first started, I was with a with a company, and still am with a company called Wired Outdoors, and it's just your general type hunting show. You know, white-tailed deer, turkey, elk, black bear, that sort of thing. But uh, I was also filming, of course, several coyote hunts, and they became so popular uh, that uh, you know, the boss man comes and said, you know, hey, we got to do something with this this predator footage. There are people demanding it. And it, it almost deserves its own segment. So out of that was born Tooth and Claw TV, which is 100% predator hunting. You know, mainly mainly coyotes, but we'll kill kill a few bobcats every year too. And and we actually started incorporating some of the black bear uh, hunts with that too. So pretty much anything that'll bite you or scratch you, we kind of throw <laughs> underneath the Tooth and Claw TV deal. So that's pretty much how it, how it began. 
I like that description. If it I, I bites you and I scratches you, we're gonna we're, we're after it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, let's talk about some of your setups. Uh, you know, let's start getting into some some teaching stuff here. Now, as far as setups, what do you what would you look at as being your ideal perfect setup that you can have? Well, you know, everybody dreams of uh, you know you setting up and. Uh, uh, a big old family group of five or six coyotes come rolling out right in front of your gun barrel, and you don't have to move it. You just mow them all down. But usually that doesn't happen with uh, uh, in a real-world scenario. But uh, coyote hunting is, is pretty special hunting. I mean, it's usually some pretty fast-paced action. Um, you know, it's uh, something that usually happens pretty quick. You know, we come in and, you know, of course, we're calling for coyotes. You know, we're, we're on electronic calls and hand calls, and we're usually spending anywhere from 12 to 20 minutes on a setup, and uh, if we're not seeing anything in that 12 to 20 minutes, we're getting up and leaving and going doing something else. So that's kind of the the beauty of it is is it's uh, pretty interactive. And if you're not seeing any action there within 20 minutes, uh, you know how it is. You can get pretty bored in a deer stand after a couple hours and mm-hmm. start daydreaming and counting chipmunks and squirrels and all that kind of stuff like that. So as soon as you start getting bored with uh, on a coyote stand, you can pack it up and move down the road to another farm and, and try it all over again. But as far as a perfect setup, you know, I, I love hunting crosswinds for coyotes. I like trying to find a place where I think I have coyotes uh, uh, tagged up for the day, you know, a certain thicket or woodlot or whatever, and try to get set up on them with uh, a wind either blowing left to right or right to left from where they're, where they're bedded up. Get in there and play a little bit of, you know, some kind of prey distress or sometimes howls. It all depends on what time of year it is with what kind of sounds or sequences I throw at them, but... Uh, you know, try to catch them coyotes running out, circling downwind to get downwind the call, and you know, get them stopped and bust them before they uh, before they hit that scent cone. And that's pretty much you know how we go about almost every single stand. Well, it sounds like power lines would be a good uh, a good area for you then. It, it can be, it, it can be for sure. You know, John, when you talk about uh, you know sitting there for twelve to twenty minutes and nothing happening, and get up and moving sets, and and, and you kind of answered my question uh, when you said you know we'll go to the next farm. And generally speaking, are you moving? I mean, if you move a quarter mile, are you going to get to where there might be some other coyotes, or or, or do you have to move miles away? Because I've always wondered. You know, it, yeah, it it all depends. It depends on several factors. One, you know, depending on my length of stand, say twelve to twenty minutes. When I say that. A lot of times that matters uh, what time of year it is. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in summer months, I might not call as long of a stand. Uh, some certain times during the winter, uh, like during the breeding season, which is right now, is usually when I'll make my longer stands of 20 minutes, sometimes even 25 minutes. Another thing that plays as a factor is how how the ground lays, you know, your actual terrain. Uh, if you're hunting uh, hilly country, uh, which I know some you can have a little bit of that out there in Missouri. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got, I'm kind of in like knobby type country. We got hills and hollers and stuff like that, big woodlots. Um, a lot of times those big, those train features can block a lot of sound. Uh, so you might be able to get into another set of coyotes that didn't hear you. Uh, just go, like you said, moving a quarter mile. Uh, sometimes you have to move a couple miles before you're getting into a different set of coyotes. Um, another thing that plays plays a, a role in that is your actual coyote population, you know. So there's several factors that play into that. Yeah, I like how he says the lay of the land. And for me, when I predator hunt, I'm more, more worried about what's laying on the land because you won't see me out in the summertime too often. I've got this thing about ticks and chiggers. And now that I've just moved from Ohio down to Missouri, there's this thing, these long things that that, that slither around that are freaking me yeah, out right now. Yeah, you got to, that's the thing about the summertime. You got, it's hot, 
and you're sweaty. You got ticks, mosquitoes, and you said uh, chiggers. That's the worst thing in the world. Chiggers oh. seem to love me. They'll eat me up from ankle to waistband, seems like. And of course, I don't like snakes much either. So right. <laughs> yeah, it, the uh, you know one one thing I always wondered, and it seems like it's a I don't know if it's a myth, but you talk to people that are thinking about getting into coyote hunting, and one of the things they always say is, I, I just don't have enough places to go. I mean, is it a myth right. that you have to have dozens of places and farms lined up to be a good coyote hunter? Or can you have just maybe two farms to hunt on and, and that's enough for you? Oh, of course. You can you can be a coyote hunter and only have one farm. Uh, you know, usually it, it all depends on how many coyotes you want to kill each year. I mean, you know, if you want to kill 100 coyotes, you're probably going to have to have more than one farm, right? So it, it all depends on how serious and how deep you want to dive into it. But uh, another great thing about coyote hunting is, uh, and you know, Missouri, Kentucky, both, you know, we've got public land. You don't have to hunt on private land. Like Kentucky, for instance, we have about a million acres of, of a million acres of public land. Uh, lots of opportunities for, for everybody to jump in there and take advantage of that. You know, you guys from Missouri can come right here to Kentucky and hunt some of the same ground I can as far as public land options go. And there, there are coyotes on this public ground. There's 120 counties in Kentucky and there's coyotes in every single county. I'm sure it's the same thing in Missouri as well. So, you know, you can take advantage of your public lands. You know, you don't have to just be on private farm ground. Yeah, and, you know, I think, John, you mentioned in in our first segment that uh, not a whole lot of farmers are going to turn you down either, especially cattle ranchers. If if you ask, hey, we are hearing coyotes over in your area, we'd like to hunt. Would it be okay if we come over there and kill a couple of coyotes? And most generally, they'll go open the gate for you. Yeah. Yeah, Here's that, the key. That's that exactly right. I've got several. I've got several places that uh, that I can coyote hunt, but might not necessarily be able to deer or turkey hunt. You know, yeah. the, they you know the farmers or some of their family might be deer hunters or turkey hunters, but they don't care a thing about the coyotes. But you know, the the farmer himself, he's like, you know, nope. You ain't gonna find too many farmers that have much love for a coyote. So it's pretty easy to let get gain access. All right, so now what do you do with the coyotes once, once you kill them? I mean, because the hides are worth basically nothing. So, I mean... Yeah, you know, that's a that's a, that's a popular question. I get that quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I still I still skin a few of them out. Um, really? You know, if they're, if they're prime fur and they don't have much wrong with them, I'll go ahead and skin them out just, you know, just to keep the tradition going. Uh, there's some taxidermists that... Uh, I've got a few taxidermists around here, especially some of the newer ones are wanting to practice on predator taxidermy. Mm-hmm. So I always drop a couple off to taxidermists or three uh, so they can uh, get, get some practice in on either just skinning them out, you know, skinning them out. They want to skin them to, for a future mount or they'll go ahead and get them mounted up, you know, just to, just to practice. So there's several, several ways that you can still put those coyotes to use that you get them down on the ground besides just pitching them. Yeah. Now, as, as far as the carcass, I mean, you leave them out for the coyotes and the buzzards. I'm assuming that a coyote would eat a dead coyote. You know, I've I've heard that they will, but I have never actually witnessed that. But I hear, you know, up up in the north, like up in Canada and some of our northern states, you hear about people just add them to a bait pile, like if they're if they're hmm. a bait hunter, if they put out you know right. stuff to try to bait in coyotes. I've heard quite a, quite often that uh, a lot of times they'll just add the coyotes to the bait, and eventually uh, more coyotes come eat on their on their brethren, but uh, I've never actually witnessed it, but I have heard that it can happen. So it's, it's kind of like the old uh, uh, Clint Eastwood movie, Buzzards Gotta Eat, just the same as worms. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, John, you've got some pretty-looking uh, colored uh, phased uh, coyotes that you've uh, been laying down I've, over the last few years here. I've seen a couple black ones that were just absolutely gorgeous. 
Um, but hey, you know, we're going to go to break here, folks. And when we come back, we're going to touch base on that. And we're, let's get into uh, what you're using to uh, knock these little dogs down. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Waddell with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. Boots, passed on down, planted deep in the ground around your heart, so you never got to worry what the wind might do, American Hi, everybody. This is Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. How many of you need an attorney? If you're like me, sometimes you do. I go to Zane Prevet at the Prevet Law Office, Willow Springs, Missouri. No case is too big or too small. You can call Zane at 417-469-3535. Zane Prevet at the Brevet Law Office. This is Alex Rutledge, and he is my attorney. Wise Eye Technologies presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. Uh, Wayne Lycus here on the Red Bull Mike Race. We've got John Collins on the line with us talking predator hunting, in particular uh, coyote hunting right now. And, uh, John, right now you mentioned earlier uh, that the, the coyotes are kind of in the rut right now. So if anybody out there wants to coyote hunt, now is the time to get introduced to it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of the the good things about right here in the winter when it's going into the breeding season is coyotes are responding to uh, several different sounds. I mean, they're you know it's cold, they're hungry, so they're coming to a lot of prey distress sounds. If you can't get them drug in with your prey distress, such as you know your rabbit distresses and bird distresses and stuff, uh, you can go right into coyote vocals, running howls and different types of breeding sounds and sequences. And so they're coming to several several different sounds and sequences this time of year. It's a good time to be a coyote caller. All right, it's a good time to uh, to get out if if you want to hunt. Uh, probably more likely to see a coyote now than maybe uh, later in the year when they're a little more secretive. Uh, but anyway, Wayne, I know we want to talk about uh, 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 bullets and guns, and because there's a lot of discussion, seems like every coyote hunter I ever knew uses something different to kill coyotes and swears by something different as the best gun to use. So. I know you want to talk that with John. Yeah, we put a few questions out on Facebook, and I've sent some messages and that to a bunch of people I know that coyote hunt. And there seems to be one caliber that's very popular. I'm going to see if you happen to mention it. I'm going to write it down and show Redbone here. Sure. Let's see if you mention it. But what is your favorite caliber to hunt with? What would you say are your top calibers to hunt with? And what would you suggest staying away from that might be what you hear is a, sure. a, a bad choice? Well, you definitely have, there's definitely a handful of calibers of what I would say fall into the predator hunting, coyote hunting royalty, so mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, you know, a few of those top ones are two twenty three, uh, which is a good caliber. It's, you know, a lot, usually ammunition is readily available and that kind of stuff. And there's plenty, plenty of power for, for coyote hunting. Uh, but uh, probably the top two calibers that you'll see out there and was definitely in the top three and all, will always be in the top three when it comes to coyote hunting, no matter what comes out in the future, is the twenty two two fifty and the two forty three. Of course, the two forty three is a good crossover caliber for, for, for coyotes and go up in the deer size game. But, uh, man, there's never been a coyote that's ever walked that a two forty three won't knock down. Great, uh, great ammo selection. It's just a great caliber for coyote hunting. Uh, 22, 250, uh, again, 
just excellent. Just part of uh, the Coyote uh, caliber royalty. Uh, it's everything the 223 is and more. You know, shoots the same bullets, but it's got more speed, um, more energy, and it's flatter shooting. Uh, now, me, for instance, I've shoot the 22-250 quite a bit and the 243, but here for the last year or so, I've been shooting a 22 Creedmoor, which is pretty much your 6.5 Creedmoor that everybody's heard of and is familiar with, but it's neck down the 224 caliber. Hmm. So I'm shooting the same bullets like my 22-250, but I'm shooting them out of a 6.5 Creedmoor case, so to speak. Uh, so I'm shooting, I'm shooting like an 80 grain bullet. Uh, the same speed as a twenty-two, two fifty will shoot a fifty-five green bullet. I see that's one. off the coyotes in the dirt. Pretty yeah, quick. I would say that's one fast traveling bullet there. Then, as far as far as calibers to stay away from, I usually tell you know I usually tell people to stay stay away from the rimfire stuff. Uh, your twenty-two long rifles and your seventeen HMRs, they're wonderful calibers, but they've got to place. And I really don't feel like it's in a coyote hunt world. Will they kill coyotes? Of course they will. Of course they will. But a coyote is still an animal, and I think they deserve a little bit better than that. You're going to be a lot more consistent on putting coyotes on the ground if you're shooting a center fire type cartridge. You know, uh, you're set, anything from like 17 Remington, which is a center fire cartridge, and up. Uh, 17 Remington, the 204 Ruger, and then on up. Those are still a little bit on the light side, but you get into the 223s, 22, 250s, 243s, and stuff like that, those are all money. And of course, if you're somebody that's getting into coyote hunting, and you don't have one of those smaller calibers, but you still want to go, and you got to do a rifle. There's nothing wrong with taking your your two seventy or your thirty out six or whatever you like to use deer hunting. Of course, they're going to kill coyotes too. So you know, if you don't want to spend extra money to buy buy another rifle to get in that twenty two two fifty category, but you got something big, hey, go ahead and take it. Yeah, I always get funny looks when people ask me what caliber I always like shooting. You know, when I go predator hunting, and being from Ohio, my answer was, "Oh, that's simple. I I use a fifty caliber." And I get the funniest, I get the funniest looks. It's like, well, now I said, now you got to understand, you know, I'm talking muzzle loader because I love right. the challenge yeah. of, you know, using a muzzle loader for coyote hunting and that. Um, Abe in Ohio, you know, we weren't allowed to use rifles up until just a couple of years ago. And uh, so, right you know, during your deer season, right. right. So you either had your shotgun, your bow, or your muzzleloader. Those are the only three things you could use right. for deer hunting. Yeah. And so I had yeah. those readily available. And when it was time to predator hunt, I just pulled out the old fifty cal and said, "Hey, I'm going to go do this." And but it is funny yeah, to talk to I people that can hunt. I think with, it's one of the things that some of these new hunters kind of they feel like they're behind the game if they don't have one of those like a pre, you know a quote-unquote predator caliber. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people ain't got just tons of money to spend on stuff like that. But if you've got a deer caliber sitting there in the house, you want to go coyote, uh, call coyotes, grab that gun and go hunt. Right. Ain't nothing wrong with it. And and there are people that uh, that shoot coyotes with shotguns. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's a bunch of them meet your into a shotgun every single year. I think Eddie uh, that we have on every now and then, he mm-hmm. talks about using his shotgun, especially when he does uh, fence rows and where those coyotes are coming out, you know, 10 yards, 15, 20 yards right in front of them. He says, there's nothing beats a, a nice shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 I, and I know there are a lot of coyotes bite the dust during the spring turkey hunt with a shotgun. Yes. Oh, I will ruin a turkey right. hunt in a heartbeat to, to yeah. take a coyote out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there, are several, there are several hunters that will actually take a rifle and a shotgun at the same time on stand. You know, they get a got a barn burner of a coyote just hard charging coming right in. You'll see them lay that lay the rifle down and pick the shotgun up and mow that sucker down a shotgun. <laughs> right, you know, it's pretty. You get the blood pumping when you shoot one right at your feet. With shotgun. Mm-hmm. 
you know, when I was a kid, and I'll, I'll tell this story because it was uh, 35 years ago, I think the statute of limitations probably run out, if there is one. But uh, <laughs> a, a cousin and I, we, we were kicking up rabbits in a brush pile. And you just walk in the brush pile and kicking up rabbits and, and shooting rabbits. We were shooting 22s. And this coyote gets up out of this brush pile, runs off across the field. And it, it got out there about 40 yards probably and stopped and turned and looked at us. Well, I just pulled up the old twenty-two and shot that dude. And here it came straight back at us. <laughs> and I had a little 10-shot twenty-two, and I managed to, to finally, that coyote died probably out there about 10 yards away from me. Wow. When I finally managed to get a shot right between his eyes. Now, I hate telling that story because when we got to looking, I'd hit the thing about four or five times. It was running straight at us. But have you ever heard of that happening, John? Because we were just like, wow, that thing... It saw us, and we shot, and, and apparently hit it, got mad, and come running after us. I can't, I can't say that I've ever heard that exact situation, but it does not surprise me one bit. And, and we also found out later, because we kept kicking and going up through the brush pile, and we, we kicked up some pups. Mm. So oh, we're, th- really? we're, we're really? thinking so maybe... The yeah, so we're thinking, okay, maybe she was coming back to protect the puppies. Right. right. That makes yeah. more sense Very now. possible. Anyway, amazing things can happen, John, when you're out in the woods. It doesn't matter what you're doing. There's always something kind of strange happens out there. Always an adventure. Yes, it is. That's why we like it, isn't it? That's right. That's exactly right. Hey, John, we're getting ready to wrap up the radio segment here, but where can people find you uh, and locate you and, and follow you at? Sure. You can watch Tooth & Claw TV on, of course, YouTube. The YouTube channels are Wired Outdoors TV and Tooth & Claw TV. You can watch Tooth & Claw TV on Amazon Prime, Amazon Fire, Waypoint TV, and Roku. Oh, you are on Roku. I did not know that. Yes, sir. You can look up Wired Outdoors on Roku. and there's a, You'll see all the general hunting stuff, and plus Tooth & Claw TV is a playlist on the Wired Outdoors Roku channel. All right. Now, are you all pretty active on social media? Yes, sir. You can catch us at uh, Facebook pages, Wired Outdoors and Tooth and Claw TV, uh, Instagram, Wired Outdoors, and John underscore Collins 3 on Instagram. You can even find us on TikTok at Tooth and Claw TV. I think we're going to 60,000 followers on TikTok. Oh, you're you not dancing, no, are you? Hey, 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 damn man, you ain't going to see no dancing on there. Like that. You'll see not yet, anyway. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Maybe dancing after he killed a big coyote. Right. That's right. Hey, John, we, we appreciate you coming on the uh, the radio show with us today. Uh, again, folks, this is not the end of it. We're going to have John on for another uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes here, and we're going to be talking about uh, calling techniques and uh, some common mistakes that are made, and we're just going to dive uh, deeper into this uh, the whole coyote hunting and predator hunting stuff. But to do, listen to that, you're going to have to go to your favorite podcast carrier, look up American Roots Outdoors, and uh, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review. And when you leave your review, make sure you leave your name and state you're from. So when we draw a winner on our uh, drawings, that we'll be able to get in touch with you. Again, you've been listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. And like we say here at American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do. American joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station.
Texas Raised Hunting Products presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and Friends. This is Wayne Locke. I'm Mike Crace in the studio, and we have John Collins on the phone. If you're listening to this, that means you are listening to us on the podcast. We appreciate you following us on the podcast. Make sure you leave us a review and leave your name and uh, your full name, your real name, not your username, <laughs> in the review along with the state you're from because we draw winners every couple of weeks here and we can get a hold of you and get that uh, the package out to you that you won. Um, also, make sure you follow us on our new Facebook page group, and that is American Roots Outdoors Podcast. We just started that up a couple of weeks ago, so we appreciate you if you hop on there. Give us a like, and you'll get some more in-depth stuff and some conversations directly with Alex, Mike, and myself. Yeah, and also, uh, make sure you share that when you do like it. Share the page and uh, tell your friends about it. Get everybody involved. Right, right. And turkey season's right around the corner, so make sure you do go to AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. Check out the shopping page where we have all of our custom calls and that that we're American Roots here and Alex produces. So, oh, John, let's dive deep, man. We're getting ready to hit some hard stuff here. At least hard for me because I don't I don't understand this coyote stuff as much as uh, some others because it's still kind of new to me. But as let's let's tackle some calling techniques. Um, what do you prefer to use? Are you a, a hand caller? Are you an electronic caller? Are you a combination? You know what's the easiest to start I, I'm with? A, I'm a combination definitely, but uh, you know mainly electronic calls. You know usually usually using the fox pro at least 95 percent of the time mm-hmm. i will run we'll run some hand calls usually it's a mouth diaphragm a howling diaphragm and uh certain times of year i'll mix in some of my own house for that mouth diaphragm and mix them in with uh with the e-call okay now as far as uh the calls that you're using what do, what do you find to be like the most round call that you can use that no matter where you're at what state you're at hey they're going to respond to this call yeah i mean if if uh mr mike dillon the fox show come to me and said john you can only use one sound for the rest of your life you pick it out run with it you can't use nothing else just give me a good fast-paced frantic cottontail distress that'll work in every single state there's a coyote and up in canada every coyote's got to eat at some point in time, and I can do a lot with a cocktail stress. And rabbits are probably Plus, one of their, their yeah, top uh, food items. That's right. And another thing is, if I'm in an area that's got fox, fox are going to come rolling into the cocktail stress. Mm-hmm. And another thing with bobcats, bobcats love coming to cocktail sounds. So that puts me in the game to kill all three. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I had a, a guy that I took out turkey hunting a few years ago. And uh, he he was trying to do his mouth call, and he was learning, and we had nothing. I mean, it was just a miserable, rainy day. And I told him, he's like, hey, do you mind if I try calling? Because I'm not very good at it. I said, hey, most turkeys that you hear, if you hear something that perfect coming through the woods, it's probably just another hunter. So now go ahead and knock yourself out. So he started squealing on this thing, and, and man, he was horrible. <laughs> but what he ended up doing was calling in a coyote all the way across the really? field, about 100 yards. He saw that thing, and he just started freaking out. And he's an older gentleman. He he won a contest to go turkey hunt with me, and he's, uh, I think he was 72 at the time. But he uh, this coyote comes hauling in. He's shaking like you wouldn't, like it was a, a Boone and Crockett buck sitting in front of him. 
that coyote came to a 15 yards in front of him and he missed. <laughs> you know? oh, no. Because well, he, he put a nice hole in my blind. I'll give him. I'll give him that. So my my blind windows no longer zip on that one side. But uh, he said he got so freaked out from a coyote coming in. He said that was the most thrilling thing he's had in 20 years of hunting, and because he was a late starter in hunting, so. He could. He just couldn't believe it. But it, it is exciting when you get them coming in like that, and uh, it's just uh, the the adrenaline rush is just I, unmatched. I, that's, that's what that's what it's all about, right? I mean, seeing that older gentleman get get pumped up over at coyote like that, that's a that's a hunting hunting memory that he'll never forget, and you'll probably never forget it as well. Right? He said he actually said at the end of the hunt, he goes, "I think I actually will remember this better than if I actually got a turkey." Right, right, right. Yeah, like I said, something you'll never forget. Now, when we were talking about calling techniques, do you find that, are you one of those guys that will put on the electronic call and just sit back for those 12 minutes and just let it play out, just nonstop? Or do you like stopping and starting it? Or, you know, what's your what's your little tip and, and trick on that? A little bit of everything, to tell you the truth, guys. I mean, it really depends. I mentioned earlier uh, about time of year. Um, you know, during the spring, uh, late spring and through the summer months, I'll be running, you know, a certain set of calls, a certain set of sounds and sequences, and then it'll change come fall, come late summer, coming into fall. You know, I'll have a total different set of sounds and sequences and how I'm running them with pauses or, or letting you go through the whole time. And the same thing, we're coming back into the winter. Things are changing up. A lot of times my sounds and sequences and how I run them, can change from month to month, sometimes week to week, and sometimes even day to day, uh, just depending on how, how the coyote reacting, what kind of weather we got, the actual tra- uh, lay of the tra- train, uh, lay of the land, like we talked about earlier. There's so many different factors that roll in the coyote hunt. Uh, to be really to be consistent in the coyote game, you constantly got to be adjusting your sounds and sequences and how you run that call. You know, John, we've asked about, you know, what what to do. Uh, can you give us a what not to do? I mean, for the new guys out there that, you know, that don't want to make a, a, a I don't want to say a fatal mistake, but a mistake that's going to end their hunt. Is there something out there that, sure. that you find that guys do that is just a no-no? Yes, the, the number one thing is the wind. And I think that is something that new hunters really take for granted. They don't really understand. Even though they might understand how to hunt it when it comes to coy- uh, to whitetails and such, because a lot of times you know whitetail hunters converting over to to coyote hunting during the off season and stuff, and they just don't mm-hmm. carry that uh, uh, that idea that you've got to hunt the wind over to coyotes. Um, you know, just like with whitetail hunting, if a, if a whitetail catches just a little bit of scent, sometimes you can get away and still you know save a few seconds and be able to get that whitetail down, but. Uh, if a coyote gets just one single molecule of that hunter, they are gone, and you just do not have a chance with them. And, and like turkeys, uh, for instance, not their nose, but with being becoming call shy. Everybody's been, you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about turkey hunting earlier. You know, when you work on a big old tom and you end up bumping him or mess up on him somehow, how that bird can get call shy, that's the exact same thing that happens with coyotes. So, you know, when you start calling, if the wind is blowing from you, to where a coyote's at, he's got you. You know, the first thing they do when you start calling is they, they perk them ears up and then they stick that nose up in there to start smelling. If they smell you, it's over with and you've automatically made that coyote call shy as well. So and then that coyote becomes very, very, very hard to call in and kill. 
over the, over the next uh, course of its life, pretty much. So that is the number one thing: is re- you have to respect the wind, you have to hunt the wind with kite, and pretty much just the uh, the basic blueprint of that is just like I said: do not start calling if your wind is blowing from you to where you think the coyotes are. Just as simple as that. Well, it sounds a lot like a good, smart old gobbler, and that is, you know, they're going to be very well educated very quick if you make a mistake. Then, yeah. aren't they? You know, you know how like one of those big old, you know, hook spur gobblers are. has been around for three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. You go in there and mess up on him once, you know, you can ain't nobody kill that turkey. Not even Alex Rutledge going in there and kill that turkey <laughs> after that. So, coyotes are the same exact way. It may be even worse. You know how you know everybody's had dogs as pets and stuff you know how smart a dog can be well coyotes even even smarter because they got that little bit more of a survival instinct in them so if you you mess up on one you know he's he's pretty pretty wise on you pretty quick all right. Well, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, uh, Mike mentioned about getting people introduced in that, you know, new hunters and that. You know, what do you have suggestion-wise as far as getting youth involved? How would you suggest, you know, somebody starting out that may want to start out? Do they need to go with somebody to learn it? Or is this something that, you know, hey, let's just watch, you know, John's videos here. And, you know, after a few videos, you should be able to get out there and start tackling it. Well, you know, there is a there is a learning curve when it comes to coyote hunting. Uh, just different type setup situations, uh, understanding how to hunt uh, certain different times of the year, and uh, other things on top of that. And of course, you could watch some of our videos. You know, we keep it pretty educational. We do stand breakdowns at the end of the end of the hunts to let you know. Uh, talk about wind direction. We talk about where we're hunting. We talk about the sounds that we used and what you know how long we run each sound and all that kind of stuff. So we can definitely shorten your uh, learning curve by watching tooth and claw tv of course but i do highly suggest you know finding finding an experienced predator hunter get hooked up with them let them take you uh, underneath the wing and go out there with them and, and start making stands you can learn a lot off first-hand experience like that and if you don't just like i said watch some of the videos and get out there and just start making coyote stands um you know i was a self-taught i mean i was brought up hunting my whole life but when i actually started predator hunting you know, it was new to me. Nobody in my family had ever done it. I just went out there and done it by trial and error and got lucky and learned pretty quick. Uh, but, you know, nothing nothing takes place of experience. You just got to get out there and start hunting. Yeah, there, there, there's uh, an opinion, I guess it would be, about coyotes. And, and I actually uh, uh, have a coyote call now once I go out in my yard because I got coyotes all around the house. I live out in the middle of nowhere. And I'll hear them. And my granddaughter, who is uh, coming up on 12 years old, um, She'll hear them. She'll she'll come in the house if it's like in the in the spring or in the fall. But still, nice enough weather to be outside. But the sun starts going down, or and she'll come in. Oh, Pappy, Pappy, there's coyotes out there. And she's scared. And I said, Don't right. be scared of a coyote. And and John, kind of back that up here because it seems like there are people that are scared of coyotes, and there really is no reason to be. No, no. I mean, there. I ain't never. Well, you had the experience. You just told a story about a coyote coming yeah, after you all. But, but I'd shot it. <laughs> but that's, that's exactly. That, that's definitely not the norm. I've never, I've never seen a coyote that uh, that saw me one me and wanted to come up for me to pet it. You know, they were running another way. You know, they they was getting getting out of dodge. So that's definitely nothing to worry about. Now I'm not gonna say you take your infant baby and go find a den, lay it in there so coyotes can take care of it or nothing. But uh, right. yeah, you don't have nothing to worry about. 
Yeah, that's one thing I keep telling my wife, and she's more, I think at this point she understands, and she's more concerned about her Yorkies, you know, that she has with the coyotes. I said, you know, you want to make sure you get them, especially now, the last few days we've been hearing them howling at night. And, uh, you know, we got to make sure that they're they're locked up. But I told her, I said, you know, with the, the dogs that we have, we don't have to worry really about a coyote coming into our yard because we got, you know, the bigger uh, dogs and that. But uh, those smaller ones, she's more worried about them than than them coming after yeah, her. Yeah, I think she probably, she probably needs to worry about that. They, they can make a meal out of a little dog. Oh, yeah. Easy. Yeah, that's what I told her. I said, you worry about the Yorkies. You ain't got to worry about yourself. They're, they'll be afraid exactly. of you. Right. Exactly. Yep. But yep. all right, everybody, I want to say a uh, big thanks to John for taking the time to join us today. And uh, John, one more time, uh, where is it that people can reach you at? You can watch, you can watch all the Tooth and Claw TV episodes on YouTube, on Wired Outdoors TV, and Tooth and Claw TV, Amazon Prime, Amazon Fire, Waypoint TV, and Roku. Outstanding. And Mike, like they say here at American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. <laughs>